When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Didn't want to roll Jordan Romano out for three games in a row, so the closer was the very obvious second choice of Adam Simber. <laughs> right? We just have to accept that what we've seen is the best of Kevin Kiermaier. Home plate umpire Nick Wentz, Lentz caused an automatic ball because he didn't finish his warm-ups in time. <laughs> Read the room, man. Like <laughs> and welcome to episode number 263 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we've taken the under on number of games where before a beer is thrown at an opposing reliever at the newly renovated Rogers Center. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined, as always, by the uh, by the not inebriated Joshua Hausam. I believe you do the podcast over every single time yeah I, I would be very surprised if you could ever find an episode of this podcast where you even had a single drink <laughs> so yes that is correct um i think that's probably for the best i think uh that my, my tagline is a reference to the new layout where uh opposing relievers are very much in the range of the cheap seats like that's that's a first come first serve area is it not yeah, I'm not entirely sure if you can get right up to the front without paying a little extra. That's not been entirely clear. But the way they're advertising it, it does seem like it's – if it's not sold, it's yours. They look very benchy. <laughs> like they do not look – they don't look Yeah. Cushy. Well, yeah, if the ones behind the relievers' heads, that would be the bleachers, which are – those are those are purchase seats, but they're still not expensive. Oh, dear. All right. This right, is where the trust. trash clock will come into play, though. It'll take them so long to get their beers that the reliever will be finished by the time they've got it. Oh, my goodness. Let's talk about uh, what we're going to talk about, which is first time through the order was uh, pretty much a disaster with some small exceptions. Uh, and then everything started to get better once they were facing a non-playoff team in Kansas City. Um, talk about, about those results, get in, dig into that more. The bullpen, um, has its hierarchy established because they've had to use the bullpen a whole lot. So we have a pretty good idea of what John Schneider is planning to do there. Um, it took until Bo Bichette in the, I think, second game in Kansas City to break the home run seal on this season, which is kind of hard to believe with the number of hitters that, who can go deep in this lineup. Um, Matt Chapman, wow, what a start. Uh, Vlad... Also, what a start, but in a, in a, he, uh, I think he's doing what he claimed he was going to try and do in the spring very, very well. Uh, Dalton Varsho does not look like the guy who was maybe pressing a little bit in the spring. Uh, and uh, we've also got lots of comments, you know, from the media and from, from the players about the outfield defense. I think we're going to highlight Kiermeyer. We're going to low light Brandon Belt. <laughs> we have your questions and we have a do over um for uh well we'll let josh lay that one out uh and lastly but not leastly we do have um luplo 
being added to the roster uh, for tonight's game in Anaheim. So rewind all that back to the first time through the order. My goodness, what happened? Yeah, it was uh, not not the best starting pitching. Uh, Gossman was pretty good, and Kikuchi was good, but the other three were just not remotely close to what you would hope for them to be. And unfortunately, for one of those guys, one of them that we worried he might would he might be, <clears throat> it it was just offense was king for the Jays' opponents, <laughs> other than those those two stars that I mentioned. Well, yeah, and, and it. Manoa only went three and a third, which uh, I think I heard yesterday that was a 49 uh, start streak that where he'd gone at least five for the Blue Jays. So really out of character for him. Um, Just got lit up by St. Louis, but they managed to win the game in your classic just keep pounding away anyways against the opposing bullpen fashion. There was nothing pretty about that opening day game at all. No, that was actually the first time well, I, not, maybe not the first time, actually. But the, the last year, Manoa did not give up that many earned runs at all <laughs> in any games. <laughs> and he, he did it in under four innings in his first first start of the season. It's like, oh, okay. Um, Brand well, the Jays off, yeah, the Jays' <laughs> offense definitely stepped up, though. I mean, they hit they, – they came back. They were down in the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth on the road. And they came back to tie or take a lead in each of them, which is incredible. That's a serious fight in an offense. Would you like to dumb the stat that stuck in my head um, from that specific, you know, first team to go down three times on the road? I like to give up the go-ahead run three times on the road. Since okay. 1938. <laughs> there you go. Like, <laughs> what I don't know, 75, 80, almost 80 years. <laughs> it's like, okay, don't do that again. Because it's not going to work next time. <laughs> and then the next no, game... No, it, it was very much not what you yeah. want. Uh, the relievers... Swanson was great. And Romano, Romano. was great. And nobody else yeah. was any good. And that, I mean, that happens, right? It's like, it's one game. But it's... <laughs> and then, and then oh. like, Hicks and Helsley, like the, the, the Cardinals' last two inning guys, they were terrible. So it was just a game where nobody pitched well. <laughs> The uh, the classic can't anybody play this here game from Casey Stengel. Um, then the next game, Gaussman pitched well, but he had he had flashes of last year where uh, you know all of his runs were unearned because the defense did some weird things behind him that he just and then he couldn't you know he couldn't uh, patch over their mistakes and that's when the runs came in. I feel so bad for Kevin when these things happen. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was pretty unfortunate. I, I mean, we talked about I think on our twenty five or twenty six and fifty two episode how we had the highest BABIP ever for a qualified pitcher. And then he goes out in his first start. It's a two out error by Matt Chapman of all people throwing error, <laughs> and then a three then three runs score after that. But uh, this stuff looked good. He still was getting the swings and misses, and yeah, like okay, like he bad luck, but he still pitched really well again. So it's nice to see that that's at least continuing. Yeah. Then the next two fine fellows whose names begin with B. And I, again, it's one start, but I definitely did not want to watch either of the Bassett or Barrio starts past about the second inning. Like it was just, it just hurt my heart, Josh. Yeah. So <laughs> Bassett gave up 
more home runs than he'd given up at any point all last year. <laughs> so you know, both started out by doing things they didn't do all last year. But the velocity was way down, way, way down. And that's the thing we talked about worried that worried us in the preseason. And it showed up again in the regular season. Now, the upside is I looked at the data and last year in April, the velocity was way, way down. And then as the season went along, it creeped back up to where it was used to being. That said, he's getting older. We can't just assume it's just going to keep coming back and coming back. That's not how it works. At some point, it just goes. So he's someone who we're going to have to watch very closely because it, it, <laughs> I love how it's like these are the two guys who got the biggest pitcher contracts the Jay-Z giving out in a while. <laughs> and well, we're like, oh, Gauss God. Gaussman got a big contract. So That's true. That's true. And then Ryu got a bigger <laughs> one than Bassett. But it's still, it's you really hope that at least Bassett, and then Bassett's case, that like there's there's the stuff was down and we've seen it get better. So there's at least hope there that we can see a path to where he can just be the guy that we that we thought they were signing. Well, and I think the other thing with Bassett was his location was also horrible. And obviously when you don't have great stuff, your location needs to be perfect. We we see, we saw that with Mark Burley way back when when you know, if Burley was on and could find the edges of the zone, he didn't have to be fantastic, but if he was leaving stuff in the middle of the zone anytime with with any you know regularity uh it was a short night and and i think you know bassett had the combination of lousy stuff lousy location lousy results all all, all together Same yeah with v. yeah i mean like you said that just that happens to pitchers sometimes and for chris bassett right it's not like he's never had bad starts last year in the middle of may he had a start where he gave up eight runs and then in June, seven runs. I mean, sometimes, as you said, pitchers like this just have bad outings. It just happened to be the very first one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jose Barrios, uh, like you said, we're. I think I, I don't think we have anything new to say about Jose Barrios. The the stuff Which is, is the, the problem. Yeah, yeah the stuff yeah. is the same. The results are poor more often than they should be. What do you do about that if you're the Blue Jays? I saw a good article. It was on, uh, on I think it was on Blue Jays Nation, actually, where they talked about, and they referenced something on the score, too, so it's a combo thing. But they talked about how one of the problems with Brios is that he's unchanged. He has two fastballs that are around the same speed, two off-speed pitches that are around the same speed, and has never deviated from that because it worked. Well, it hasn't worked for the last calendar year now. Maybe it's time to try to add a slider, you know, the sweeper as they're calling it now, or I don't know, change the shape of a breaking ball or something, because right now, whatever he's doing just is not working. And mediocre hitters are uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. had three balls off the bat over 100 miles an hour against Jose Brios. Jackie Bradley Jr. should not be doing that against most pitchers ever. Yeah, we saw him not do it against any pitchers last year, so I agree with you. So that one's scary. I mean, you know, it's it's tough for someone who's had so much success to think all of a sudden I need to do something completely different. But if his next start comes and goes against, I think he'll pitch against the Angels. Yep. Yeah, he will. And it happens again. And the Angels line is pretty good. Then it's time to say, okay, Jose, we got to find something else because what you've been doing just is not working anymore yeah you need to fool more of the people more of the time um this is a great segue to you say kikuchi though sure uh, 
who cruised, although he didn't have the strikeouts, he cruised through five innings against Kansas City. Everything that he was working on, that he was talking about uh, in terms of, you know, the, the pitch clock helping him and not walking the planet and staying, you know, not worrying about his fastball and using his, his breaking pitches, it, it all came together for him. I mean, I want five or six innings out of my fifth starter with what one run allowed. Yeah, Kikuchi was great. You know, he, I believe it was one walk and two yeah, strikeouts. Two strikeouts, yeah. And the two strikeouts came with runners on in the fifth. In his last inning of work, he struck out two, including the, the strikeout to end the inning. So when he needed the strikeout, which was really the only time in the game he did, he got one. The other run they scored was on a monster home run by Fran Mil Reyes, who just destroys the Blue Jays for some reason. <laughs> his numbers <laughs> against the Blue Jays are like 200 points of OPS higher than his against the rest of the, of the league for his career. But, you know, that happens. But the, but the really encouraging thing for me was 47 strikes and 69 pitches. Yeah, that's, that's uh, his stuff plays if he can keep it in the zone. We, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, and you know, people talked about the lack of the swinging strikes. He didn't get a ton, but he had 26% called strikes and swinging strikes because one of the things with Kikuchi is that he got swinging strikes or balls. He was fooling pat, fooling batters to the point where they were not taking, not swinging at them, and so. It was as encouraging a start as you could you could want based on what we saw in the spring because sometimes spring just goes out the window on opening day. And so it was nice to see uh, – nice to see that he repeated it. And then we had two more starts with um, excellent results from Manoa and Gaussman again. Um, Gaussman still striking people out like mad, getting swings and misses. Uh, uh, Manoa going deep into games with good pitch count. I did find interesting that both of them had reduced velocity in Kansas City with the the cold and or cold and windy days that they pitched on. I know that's a factor, but at the same time, to go from like 94 miles an hour on opening day to 91 and a half for Manoa is a bit of a surprise to me. Well, especially because the day before the Kikuchi start, everybody was throwing gas. Tim Meza threw 97. And... And then you see, then Manoa comes out and the velocity just wasn't there. Now, for Manoa, you might just say, oh, whatever. But that was a problem in spring towards the end of the season where people were worried about his velocity. And then he came out throwing bullets against the Cardinals and no one cared. Well, a week later, here he was doing it again. Obviously, the cold could be a factor, especially because two pitchers in a row did it. But you still have to raise your eyebrows a little bit. I mean, Gaussman was throwing fastballs that were 89 at some points. I've never seen him throw an 89 mile hour fastball before. No, I've seen him throw 97 when he's yeah. loose in late season, right? Like, that's a massive difference. Not even late season. Last year, in that early start against the Red Sox, he was throwing 98. And I just wasn't there. It, it, again, it was he, he, both guys were throwing harder in their first start. So it's hard to say that there's a problem, but it was a little weird. Yeah, for sure. And again, results were not the problem. Just to be Excellent clear. results. Yeah, both of them were fantastic. <laughs> I didn't give him a run. Yeah, uh, and a one, one hit for Manoa. I mean, four walks, yeah. but one hit. <laughs> it's all good, but we. I think it's to keep an eye on, right? Like, does does yeah. this velocity bounce around, or does it does it bounce back, and we don't think about it again? And despite the results, as you said, which were excellent, <laughs> for Gossman, I worry about it. No, actually, worry is the wrong word, right? I'm not worried this is going to be a problem for seeing it once. It's again, it's like who cares? 
But he's more at risk, I believe, from a velocity dip just because he's just more likely to – He's a, he relies so heavily on strikeouts that if he stops getting some of them, then he might have some problems because of his, his problem with balls in play. And it wasn't four walks. It was two, I believe. For uh, Manoa? For Gaussman. No, I was saying for Manoa. Manoa oh, yes. Had, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Four um, sorry, I combined kind of Manoa and Gaussman into one, one thing there. Um, all right. Cool. Moving to... Uh, Some hitters. The oh, no, the <laughs> oh, yeah, really, 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 yeah, we still got more pitchers left. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's so much to cover in the first week. Um, you know, you wanted to talk about this, and I think it's important to note that there's always this, okay, is the manager going to mix and match, or does he have an idea of who he wants to use? And I think it's, you, you're correct, very differently, the latter thing. <laughs> he knows who he wants to use. Yeah, bullpens, I, I think you said this on a on a previous episode that like they're the ultimate meritocracy, right? Like if you're good, you earn the spot. If you're not, you're gone. And we've already seen that there is a hierarchy in play because obviously Romano is the lockdown closer. He's been absolute nails. <laughs> it's been fantastic, especially in that first game. Nobody could get now and he comes in one, two, three games over. <laughs> yep. <laughs> See ya. But it's, it's it, just from the pattern of the first seven games, it seems pretty clear that Swanson and, and Jimmy Garcia are the two, next most trusted guys in the pen. One of them will pitch the eighth, and the other one, if they're both available, the other one will pitch the key spot that pops up early. Those are the two most important points in the game, and it's those two guys, which is actually nice that they have two pitchers they trust to that level as, like, these guys will not give up runs. Because in, in the past, it was, well, these other guys are pretty good, but we don't really want them coming in with second and third one out. Yeah, They don't care with these two guys. And then, you know, Obviously, Simber has his role, and Bass is going to face right-handed pitchers. Mesa is going to struggle against left-handed hitters, and <laughs> that's mean to Mesa. He was actually tremendous in that one game, struck out <laughs> every batter he faced. But he also has not been good a couple other times. But anyway, those are the main guys. Pop is sort of the middle guy, and then Richards will pitch when the games they just need to get innings. Yeah, and and Richards has uh, already given up a home run just to settle into the season. Uh, only he and Pop have given up home runs from the bullpen. Um, and walks, because Trevor Richards is always one. It's never just the home run. <laughs> it can't just be one thing. Um, for all of you who worried if Eric Swanson was legit and would continue to strike out people, the answer so far is yes, absolutely. <laughs> Despite his apparent lack of velocity, 10.8 K per nine. Um, and he's actually was throwing harder than I thought. Um, I, I, I've seen him hit 90, not in the spring. I saw him hit, or maybe it was in the first game against the Cardinals. I saw him hit 95 or 96. It's like, oh, okay. Like if he's got that in the tank with that splitter, who cares? You know, <laughs> it it works. You know, sometimes it just works. Uh, so the Blue Jays in a bunch of close games, the we're recording this on Friday before they play in Anaheim. Uh, they actually didn't want to roll Jordan Romano out for three games in a row. So the closer was the very obvious second choice of Adam Simber. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't help that there's other guys we talked about had just pitched in two games in a row. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, he, it did work out in a funny way. It was very nice for them that they had the big lead that Mesa and Richards ended up coughing up, but uh, they were able to get pretty deep into the game without using a reliever. I actually one thing about this that I, that I thought was really interesting to note. I'm so used to managers saying, "Oh yeah, this guy's not available," 
John Schneider said Romano was available. And then after the game, he's like, no, he never was available. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Why are you telling the other team that your best reliever is not going to pitch? Yeah. No, little, like who little, cares? Little like, little oh, no, the reporters got misled. Well, suck it up. You know, it's like in, the, in fairness, none of them complained. So I shouldn't say suck it up. That makes it sound like they did. But <laughs> if you can fool the other team for one second, do it, right? Yeah. If it gives you an advantage, even even for one batter to have an advantage because, you know, you have information that they don't go for it. OK, we can finally get to hitting because hitting is the exciting part of the game, right? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> uh, Bo knows home runs, or at least he knows uh, the first home run of 2023. For everybody who had that in the pool, congratulations. Uh, that square has now paid out. Took long Yeah, if enough. you had that in the pool, you might have thought, okay, Bo Bichette's, <laughs> you know, like maybe first or second at bat of the season. No, that's not what it was. <laughs> uh, game five? I feel no, like it was, was, was it five? Wow. I think it was four. First first uh the end of the first game in in kansas city then still wildly long time to wait for a home run from this particular lineup um but vlad caught us caught himself up rather rather quickly yeah let's, then okay go ahead let's talk about vladimir guerrero jr's line so far though 407 mm -hmm. batting average 500 on base 667 slugging five walks one strikeout in 34 play appearances and leads major league in hard hit balls. So 95 plus exit velocity with 17. Don't change. <laughs> yeah. So this is interesting because Vlad did talk about this, that this was something he intended to do. He was one, he wanted to get back to what made him special, which essentially was the idea that, he was just going to try to hit his pitches. And if he didn't get them, he was going to take the walk. And last year, he ob like objectively got away from that. He, his his chase rate was the highest of his career. And he struck out not a ton. He still, he still didn't strike out a lot because he makes such good contact. But he struck out more than one would want. And we actually saw this a bit at the end of the 2021 season when the Jays came home because they'd been on the road forever. He got a little jumpy and he got a little, a little over like trying to do so much. Like he'd get, if the runners were on base in a key spot, Vlad in the second last two months of that 2021 was bad because he just, he was getting so amped and trying to do things that aren't his game. His game is to wait and then destroy. Yeah. I mean, the home runs that he hit, uh, especially the one uh, at 90 mile an hour fastball in the inner half. The, the, before he he finished the follow through, I think the ball was already out of the ballpark. Like ridiculous uh, ambushing of a pitch. Oh yeah, his his <laughs> his power is yeah, it's top of the charts. I mean, his max exit velocity for his career is in the ninety ninth percentile of the league. Yeah, and and but this, and here's the thing: that's like his chase rate this year is twenty one percent. Last year it was thirty percent. Significant. I mean that yeah. that matters now. One thing we should mention with regards to the strikeouts, it's not like they've been facing a lot of top-end pitchers. I mean, Miles Michaelis, <laughs> Zach Grinke, Bubich, Brady Singer, these are not guys you expect to get a lot of strikeouts. Sure, but Dalton Varsho, who uh, is, is the third best OPS on the team right now, again, small sample size, 
has 10 strikeouts. Yeah, I was uh, going to actually finish the thought, with, but it still doesn't mean that one is insignificant, which you sort of decided to go with there. One, right? It's like he, he struck out once against Ryan Helsley, who throws 102. Like, that's the only guy who's able to actually get the ball past Vladimir Guerrero three times in a bat. And that's just like this is the guy that we all know he could be. Obviously, it's seven games. Who knows what's going to happen? But if he can keep this approach – this is 2021 Vlad. Well, yeah, and I, the problem with Vlad last year was he, I don't think he had a week like this week where his OPS was well in excess of 1,000 and he looked like he was ready to ambush whatever mistake the pitcher made, right? He was good all year, even great at times, but never really locked in. So I, I think it's, it's periods of being human, but in the interim, did he ever really get on fire last year? Not really, not like he did two years ago, where there were one or two week stretches where it was like, oh, don't pitch to Vlad. It's just, it's foolish. I mean, two month stretches. So. <laughs> so all of this, are we talking about the best hitter on the Blue Jays right now? No, because we haven't talked about Matt Chapman of all people. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. He's Speaking slugging guys. 704. <laughs> yeah, so... Now, there's a stat that was thrown out there by Codify Baseball. I love this Twitter account. They have all these fun things that they tweet. If you're like a stats nerd like me, first seven games of a season doubles by Matt Chapman. 2017, one. 2018, one. 2019, two. 2020, one. 2021, zero. 2022, one. 2023, six. <laughs> he's just hitting everything. Now, he's just missed two home runs, so it could be even, you know, the four, like the six doubles could be four because he's got no home runs, but he's hitting the crap out of the ball. I mentioned Vlad having the most hard hit balls in the season with 17. Chapman's right behind him at 16. Yeah. And he has had, uh, you know, no problem getting on base. No problem. Well, one, one mistake on defense, but this is, the, I think the Matt Chapman we were hoping would show up once in a while. Uh, when when he came to Toronto. And I don't know if he finally relaxed. I don't know if it's the pitchers he's facing. Whichever. It's been a really, really nice week. I I, I would be sh really surprised to see who wins player of the week. Have they announced it yet? Uh, if they have, I haven't seen it. But I, yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, probably Adam Duvall, who's got like five bombs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can't win sometimes. No. And <laughs> when you get into these kind of these kind of sample sizes. Now, the interesting thing about what Chapman's doing that that shows up again, seven games. So these numbers could mean nothing in a week, but his contact rate in the zone is 92%. It's never been above 82% in his career. And the last three years has never been above 76. So he's making contact. He's only struck out five times, but his launch angle is way down. It's 8.8 .8 when it's always in the upper teens for, for his entire career, it's been in the upper teens, which has led to just a whole whack of line drives. That's how you hit six doubles. Yeah, and no homer. Yeah, I mean, his average exit velocity is 99.2 miles per hour. That's coming down. Yeah. But he's hitting the ball hard, and he's making contact. So with the barrel, 31.8% barrel rate. Amazing. Yeah, he's just been on fire. And like you said, this is what we everyone hoped they'd get. And he made one play 
uh, I think it was against Kansas City, might have been St. Louis, where he was he ranged back for a pop up into foul territory, deep into foul territory. The left fielder was there, the shortstop was there, and he just slid him over the shoulder, catch, ho hum. It's like that play was really difficult, and he made it look easy. <laughs> and that's what the coolest thing about Matt Chapman still is. Well, he uh, last game in Kansas City, he he caught a one hopper that was basically at his face. Realized he had all the time in the world because it nearly killed him. Set his feet and threw a, just a bullet to first, right at, at at I think it was Belt at the time, right at his chest. And it's like, oh, you you are that baseball intelligent. Like you know exactly how much time you have to pull things off. He's he's never out of out of position, out of in a rush when he doesn't have to be. It's really fun to watch. Yeah. So if you combine that with even just half of what he's doing offensively right now. Maybe not half, but uh, yeah. half the gains from last year, then he's the best player on the team. All right. One more header before we talk about defense. Dalton Varsho, who was just struggling in uh, in spring training, like OPS around, I think, 500. Uh, it's now 978. He's got a 406 on base percentage. I, I did read an article right before the end of spring training that I think George Springer had come to him and, and they had a they had a heart to heart and he said when I tried to came to this team I tried really hard to be the guy and show him everything I could do it didn't work uh, and then I got injured so don't worry about it and I don't know if if, if George Springer's that great of a psychologist but uh, certainly <laughs> something has worked. Well, I mean, you just certainly can't argue with the results. And one of the interesting things about Varsho is that he had his first opposite field home run in two years. And he's been going the other way with some regularity this season on one of his doubles, another one of his singles. This was the approach that worked for him against left-handed pitchers in 2021, where he, just, he got so pull-happy last year because it led to all the power and success against righties that lefties ate him alive with sliders. It's like slider away, slider away, he's trying to pull it, he's out, he's out, he's out, he's out. So if he's been able to merge these, these concepts, that really helps, especially when you consider he's still set a career high in max exit velocity. So it's not like he's given up any power. You know, fingers crossed, as you do. Um, but, yeah, those are your three top hitters on the Blue Jays, which maybe you, you wouldn't have expected in the first week. But Chapman, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and Dalton Varsho. Um to segue to the other reason Dalton Varsho has been great, he plays uh, center and left field like a boss. <laughs> so speaking of that crazy first game of the season, I think it was the second inning, maybe even the first inning, <laughs> where we saw exactly what the difference is between Dalton Varsho in left field and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Ball down the line. I think it was Arenado who hit it. He went into he runs on first and second. He 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 went to go pick it up, looked up, saw that there was no play at third base to get that guy, or no play at the plate, and he threw the ball to second, which kept Arenado at first. <laughs> Small play doesn't really show up, but that happened so many times the other way last year and the year before. <laughs> I think Arenado ended up scoring anyway or something. Like it didn't even end up mattering, but just to see the actual, oh, right. Like this stuff can work properly was really enjoyable. Um, Chris Black had a really interesting um, couple of uh, video slash gifs on his Twitter account, down to black. 
um, where he showed uh, it was like a 75% catch percentage ball. And uh, it was either Jeremiah or Varsho got to it, no problem. Um, and he's like, yeah, now watch what happens in the, the closest ball I could find from um, uh, Teoscar Hernandez in this situation. And the first step is like so many seconds slower and the sprint speed is a couple of miles an hour slower and the ball drops. And he's like, none of these look like egregiously bad plays, right? He just didn't get to it. And this guy just did without much effort. But in fact, you multiply that over 15 or 20 times during a year and all of a sudden it makes a huge difference as to how many how many runners on your your pitching has to face. Well, I mean, we saw that again in that first game with this with another one too, with the pop up to center that Kiermaier made the sliding catch on. That's the one that killed Springer, right? I mean, in, in the World Cup game, it was a little different, but the idea, it, the issue, the reason Springer got hurt is because he took he got a slow jump on the ball. It's like just a half second too long, but when you don't lose that half second, balls get caught. And I think it was, was it Manoa who made the comment? It's like, you look outside, it looks like they were moving before the ball was even hit. Yes. Yeah. That was his post game. Yeah. When, when you turn around and, and you, everybody's at a full, full run by the time you turn around as a pitcher, I'm sure that's a huge confidence booster. Yeah. I mean, I'm, <laughs> that then Springer is just an upgrade in right too. Uh, you know, he's, he's always been a good enough center fielder. Like I, I, Springer, was a little slow on the balls directly at him. That was his issue last year with his step, coming in especially. But overall, he's an average center fielder. It's not to take anything away from George Springer, but he's a really good right fielder. <laughs> <laughs> so they've upgraded. We talked about this a few times, but now we've seen it multiple times. They've upgraded at all three spots in the outfield in a really significant way, and it just it's really helping. Which uh, we should talk specifically about Kevin Kiermeyer. Yeah, so... Jays fans hated Kevin Kiermaier for years. But, yeah, the, I mean, same reason I hate most of the Rays. They're really, really good at what they do. <laughs> and it's one of those things that when you only see them when they play your team, you think like, oh, my God, what the hell? Like, this guy again? Like, it's he, you look at his numbers, it's like, this guy sucks. I mean, not defensively, but offensively. He, But then you watch him play on a regular basis because he's on your team. And it's like, oh, he does all the little things. He's still not a great hitter, his numbers notwithstanding. He's hitting like 400. But he knows how to take the right kind of swing, but especially knows how to run the bases and the angles in the outfield. When you watch that every day, you can see why teams love having this guy. It just, like, the, he, he, I saw him do this against the Jays probably three or four times. A single up the middle that, for some reason or another, gets slowed down, whether it hits the bag or it's a glove or something. And he just doesn't stop and gets a double out of it. It's like, oh, yeah, right. He, he, we have base runners now. We have speed. And this guy is just a leader when it comes to this kind of stuff because he's been doing it for years. Yeah, to be able to take the extra 90 feet with minimal risk, right, with your, with your, your head and your abilities aligned to know that you're not risking much. Like Vlad is famous for taking the extra 90 feet, in my mind, and not understanding the risk half of the time, right? Just You've being aggressive. Already. But Kiermaier is aggressive within the bounds of what he knows he can do. Um, and it really works. Yeah. And he's not, he's not going to hit this well all year. It's just he's not no. that good a hitter. Like, right? We, we just have to accept that what we've seen is the best of Kevin Kiermaier. 
Yeah, if his if his OPS ends up at six fifty, I I probably shouldn't be crying. It, it, no. Yeah. But the thing is, all the other stuff won't go away. Exactly. That presence is going to be there. Cool. Um, I hate to end on a low note, but we probably should mention Brandon Belt. <laughs> Free agent well. acquisition, Brandon Belt. I mean, he right now, and and again, we we've seen we've seen players drag themselves out of this, but he looks like he's going for the Jared Saltlamakia. Uh, how many strikeouts can you rack up in a Blue Jays uniform before you do anything else? Award. Yeah, it's really bad. Uh, it's hard to really understand what exactly is going on. I mean, he's just getting destroyed inside, and. You know, he's got 12 strikeouts in 21 plate appearances. It's really awful. Yeah. I mean, it's it really tough to, to know what, what the excuse would be for that. Um, you, you know what I mean? Like, does he need, it almost looks like he needs rehab at bats in AAA. I know that's cruel, but it's kind of like, okay, uh, what else do you do with him? You, he's going to sub for Vlad when Vlad's DHing, but he's really a black hole in this lineup that otherwise is pretty, pretty solid overall. Yeah, um, and you look at you look at his raw numbers. His chase rate isn't any different. His contact rate just is. He's just not making contact. And this was like the chase contact rate was a bit of a like when you swung out of the zone, he had the same problem last year. He just didn't make contact outside the zone. This year, he's not making contact in the zone that much either. So I do think that's something that will normalize. It just doesn't make sense that it wouldn't. But, you know, the contact is just way down. And maybe that's the case with Brandon Bell now because it wasn't great last year. So. Hopefully it can correct itself, but it's obviously not going great right now. Yeah. Uh, Nathan Lucas, uh, you know, we, we released our 26-man speculation, and we were wrong um, because we thought we would be Otto Lopez. Are we now less wrong because before we could record another podcast, Nathan, Nathan Lucas already got option and replaced by a wafer wire pickup? Yes, I'm totally taking the win. <laughs> we knew he would be on the team. <laughs> Jordan oh. Luplau, he of the 841 OPS versus lefties. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing that he's always done. Uh, like, well, except last year. Last year he was just terrible, but it's Luplau, actually. But, uh, oh, sorry. Um, he has always hit left-handed pitching. He can't really do anything else. He's not a good outfielder. He's quite bad, actually. He's not a good, well, it's not horrible, but he's not good. He can't run that well he can't hit righties at all but when you are the 26th man on a team that has Brandon Belt, Kevin Kiermeyer, and Dalton Varsho on it and Kevin Bishio <laughs> you might be getting a plate appearance or two or three right. I, especially on days when say they have a day where Kirk is DHing and Jensen's catching and there's a right-handed pitcher on the mound if a lefty comes on comes into pitch, your pinch hitting option, the only one you've got that's viable, is Santiago Espinal. Which fine, he can hit lefties okay, but that's not 
what happens if they do it again, right? <laughs> you know, what if Kiermaier comes up in a key spot and then Brandon Belt comes up in a key spot? Or well, I guess he wouldn't be playing, but whether or what or Varsho or something. It's or you use Espinal already for defense. Being able to have a guy who could just come in and job is to hit a left-handed pitcher, it's great. And again, like if he's no good, you cut him. He makes he's worth makes one million dollars this year. Who cares? Yeah, well, the, I mean, the, the timing is about as obvious as it gets because they picked him up off of waivers right before they go into uh, Anaheim with three left-hand pitchers in a row, starting pitchers. Shocking. Yeah, lucky for the Jays, they missed Otani. Uh, <laughs> so Luplau will, will get his chance. He was signed by the Braves, uh, you know, I think earlier in the offseason. He was signed as a, as a guy to come in and do exactly this. And then they signed two more guys who do exactly this. So he was the one they cut. But, yeah, you know, the Jays had no one who does this. So <laughs> why not? Exactly. All right. That brings you up to speed on a very uh, revealing first week of the season. And we're going to come back with your questions about the very revealing uh, the beginning of the season in just a little bit. And we're back, and, and dare I say, better than ever, sir. Better than ever. Um, or at least as good as we always were. Anyway, we have questions from our listeners, and I have this thing that I play before we answer them. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Our first question comes from Blue Jays Rat Girl at Ellie Yelly. Where can I try out for the Jays rotation? I feel like I've got a pretty good shot. Uh, to be fair, that was sent on April 5th when we originally were scheduled to do this podcast and was was more accurate. <laughs> the feels were more accurate at the time. Yeah, well, <laughs> we still only see Manoa and Gaussman go. So who knows? Maybe, maybe Bassett will make it look like that again today. Hopefully not. Yeah. Um, at the point that this question was asked, it didn't seem like it would be too hard. <laughs> it's like, well, Zach, Zach Thompson, you ready yet? <laughs> but yeah, so well, the answer is go down to spring training. Just do what Willie Mays Hayes did in Major League and just come onto the field in your pajamas or something and just wow them so they give you a jersey. Yeah. I mean, wow them is the important part. Yeah. Um, 100%. Craig Kennedy, that's K-R-E-G, um, asked says Chapman absolutely destroyed that ump and didn't even try to apologize. Uh, this was in response to a video of <clears throat> a umpire v uh, a Raldis Chapman collision at first base. Um, well, I don't know. Should should umpires just be standing out on the field to play like that? Right, Josh? <laughs> I mean, if anything, it should be the umpire apologizing to Chapman, really, for getting in his way and causing Chapman to go flying. It just so happens that Chapman is 6'4", 220, so he bowled the umpire over. But the umpire was in his way. So, no, I'm not surprised that Chapman didn't apologize. And I, I don't think anyone really needed to apologize at all. I think it played out as it should have. Yeah. There was a funny thing where the umpire, I think it was Carapaza, Yep. He, he was flat, lying flat on his back. And it was it was close play at first with Kiermaier sliding weirdly into first. Oh, my God. I thought Kiermaier was going to get injured. He said like that. But <laughs> I digress. And then he, the umpire went safe. 
<laughs> and then I was like, whoa, challenge, challenge. He's like, no, no, I'm sorry. The runner's out. I'm just trying to say that I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to Vic. Vic copy pasta. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he kind of deserves it. Like, neither, I, I, I don't like Araldus Chapman for obvious reasons to read anything about him on the internet. Uh, but also, I don't like Vic Carapazza read any baseball-related thing about him on the internet. <laughs> he sucks, too. Just in different ways. By the way, ways. Aroldis Chapman throwing 103.5 in this game. When did he find that again? <laughs> that came up even from uh, Randy Jazerly, Jazerly uh, the you know the longtime Royals commenter. He's like, wow, if uh, if the Royals can unlock like an extra four miles an hour in Aroldis Chapman, maybe that would be a thing that you should advertise to washed up pitchers that you can do for them <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, stevie hotcakes at stevie hotcakes says am i the only one who thinks that espinal should be given every opportunity to run with the second base job when they want a righty bat in the lineup over merrifield currently espinal seems to be the third man in that platoon josh well i think espinal is clearly the right-handed bat in the platoon if a lefty's pitching espinal's in the lineup as he is tonight well uh, we're recording this Friday, the Jays game against the Angels hasn't happened yet. And he probably will be in both the games that follow it, because as you said, that's all left-handed pitchers. I, I kind of think that's his role. Uh, you know, like Merrifield is, I think, better against righties than Espinal. I mean, if, look, if Merrifield doesn't hit, then he'll lose the job, but I still think he's better. Uh, and, and I think Biggio is probably better against righties than Espinal, so I, I don't think he should have a bigger role, no. That's... Uh sensible thing for me i i I think um i think we were dazzled with the all-star appearance of santiago espinal but like you mentioned many times he really fell back to earth second half last year so um he's a perfect bench player yeah Yeah. he can fill in all the infield spots except first who cares and he makes contact and he will have a little better than average performance against lefties. Like, that's a perfect guy to be on the bench. And I think that's where he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. That concludes the questions segment. Uh, unless one snuck in there in the last 10 no. seconds. No. no. <laughs> I'm an optimist. Uh, thank you for your questions. As always, you can submit them uh, on Twitter or you can e- email them to us. Where can they email them to us, Josh? ArtificialTurfWars at gmail.com. Uh, all one, all one incomprehensible word. Uh, and if you want to join our Patreon, um, that's uh, www.patreon.com slash turfpod, uh, you could send us questions directly in our Discord. That's a thing that exists. Amazing as it seems. Uh, but before all that, we're going to have a little do-over. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... All right, this is your pick, Josh, so please lay it out for me. Well, there's two, but we're going to start with Andrew Vaughn. All right. Because the other one is sort of a combo, do over a gold star. So Anthony Desclafani was pitching against Andrew Vaughn of the White Sox, and he threw a 3-0 slider. Vaughn grounded out softly on the 3-0 slider, and in Desclafani's words, did not say a nice word to Desclafani. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Vaughn was upset that he got a 3-0 slider. He swung at it. <laughs> if you're going to swing 3-0, why are you just expecting guys to throw you cookies? Like, that's not how this works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's... Uh, yeah. 
If there's some unwritten rule that you never swing 3-0, then a pitcher should only throw 3-0 fastballs. But if you're going to come out of your shoes expecting a 3-0 fastball, hey, you might not get one. Suck it up, Andrew Vaughn. (laughs) Insane. This is like – this reminds me of when Colby Lewis got angry about Colby Rasmus bunting for a single in a two-run game. (laughs) It's just like just nonsense. Like there's no logic behind it. But yeah, it's just you're mad you got out, but you're mad at the wrong person, my friend. Just that's the do over. You can be mad, but you got to be mad at yourself today. <laughs> you cannot be mad at the guy who got you out. When you swung at it, <laughs> oh, just uh, so dumb. Uh, oh, that is it. That is a, a gold star for sure. Why is it a do over? Um, Alex Pavlovic, Pavlovic, um, sent out this tweet with a photograph of a very interesting looking hat. It said, every time a kid asked Sergio Romo for an autograph in spring training, he asked them to sign his hat first. He wore this to the mound tonight. And on the inside of the brim, I'm sure you'll link to the tweet uh, in our description, on the inside of the brim and on the inside of the hat are a whole lot of very amateur signatures from children. Looks really cool. Yeah, that was the gold star. The do-over was for the other part of it, <laughs> with the umpire. <laughs> All so, right. Sergio Romo came in. This was his last appearance ever. He signed with the Giants to pitch in spring training and retire because they were playing their last spring training game of the season in San Francisco, as a lot of teams do. They they go home and they play another team that's from the West Coast or from wherever the area is, and they play a game outside in the conditions they're going to play their regular season in. Pretty good crowd. Sergio Romo was never going to play for their major league team. They didn't want him on the roster. Nobody did. He's done. But he wanted to retire as a giant. So he comes out. Massive crowd response. They play his warm, his walk-up music. It takes a long time. He soaks it in. Home plate up our Nick Wentz. Lens calls an automatic ball because he didn't finish <laughs> his warm-ups in time. Read the room, man. Like, Are you serious right now with that? <laughs> that's, that's your best read the room ever i gotta be honest <laughs> <laughs> just such nonsense and then romo didn't get an out he faced three batters and didn't get an out which is really unfortunate for him but it actually brought up something for me that's interesting though like special moments in baseball that are emotional and involve time with whether it's a guy's retiring or it's it's like uh, anything anything like that just like we're like we're the moments that everyone can recognize and remember where it's like the that someone has an emotional moment they walk to the mound slow they come to the box slow like a return to a, a park right with like a, an emotional video playing we saw with Edwin Arcanacion when he came here hmm. well that he was crying like he when he walked to the plate he had to call time you can't do these things anymore like the idea, I really hope they change it so that there's discretion <laughs> from the umpires. Yeah. Like, so like, just like, okay, we're not starting the clock right now because we understand this is different. Yeah. Some, some kind of special dispensation, uh, uh, where, yeah, where the umpire can call time and, and just straight up call time. Uh, yeah, just the clock yeah. isn't starting. We understand this is different. Yeah. Because it's only going to happen a few times a season, but it's absolutely worth it because that, you know, a situation where where uh, someone goes out and, and is, uh, you know, is called back in off the field on a substitution so people can applaud them as they leave. Little stuff like that. 
Uh, overall, though, uh, well, I mean, this this comes the time where I would uh, ask you in the podcast for your final thoughts, sir. Yeah, so we talked about just the little things that Kiermaier was doing, right? Dalton Varsha does another little thing, which we saw on display in that Kansas City game that you were talking about. He had a home run, threw a guy at the plate, and he bunted for a single against a left-handed pitcher. Last year, Dalton Varsho led the National League in bunts for hits. He only failed once. And it's a thing that he does specifically against left-handed pitchers who fall off the mound towards third base. All he tries to do is drag the ball between the first pitcher and the first baseman. So the first baseman has to come get the ball, and then he beats the everybody else to first base. It's a really fun little skill. And I think we're going to see a lot of it. Last year, the, the team had a four bunt hits as a whole. I think he's going to exceed that on his own. Yeah, fun, fun little thing to watch for, for those of you who were not familiar with Dalton Varsho. Um, I'm going to swing back to the pitch clock for my final thought. I haven't noticed it getting in the way. Um, and I've certainly not been frustrated with that walk around the mound and complete contemplate the meaning of life reliever uh, behavior that did get on my nerves in previous seasons. So I understand that in the long run, it may, it may cause an uptick in injuries. And I think that remains to be seen um, because of fatigue. But on the flip side, if, if pitchers are able to adjust to it in the long run, I think it makes the game feel feel more structured and and more of a steady pace which is more pleasing to me if there's really no reason to stop i'm so glad to not see batters stepping out and pitchers doing the, the walk of shame around the mound over and over again yeah i am still curious to see what it's like when i go to a game because when the jays come to town next week i'm going to be there i'm going to be there opening day and the day after that and my worry is that you know i don't like eating dinner before I get to a game. It's too early for me. And because I, I usually eat dinner later, 7.30ish, 8 sometimes. So I go up and get food. I just hope I don't miss too much of the game because of that now, because the lines are always enormous at the Rogers Center. It's like if they, if they could make an adjustment to that, sure, fine, but they're not. So I'm curious to see what it's like at the game because on TV, it's objectively better. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the vast majority of the audience, that's where they are, is viewing from afar. Yeah, that's obviously who this was for, and also for the family with the young child who wants to be able to have see most of the game. Like that—that's what this was. For. This is not for me. I, like I'm—I'm I'm never going to stop going to games or paying for the content, regardless. They don't care about me. But <laughs> they've, they've got you hook, line, and sinker, boy. <laughs> right, they do. I, like objectively, like that's—I I understand that what I want doesn't matter, but. I care about what I want. <laughs> so, we'll see. Yeah. I'll give a report on our next show what it was like. Yeah, I'm curious. I am genuinely curious. All right. That is to say, uh, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010. And this has been episode number 263 of Artificial Turf Wars, and we will talk at you next week. <laughs>